So do you feel like our world is getting a little more in crisis mode? Do you feel that coming on? It's kind of getting a little bit out of control in some ways. Um, you know, here's the pandemic. Here's where we're in this um, quarantine where everyone's stuffed inside. You know, and then there's all this political bantering that is going on. And then beyond that, you know, there's there's our, our riots that are happening. You see cities that are burning. You hear people just talking about all of the unrest. There's all of these things going on. And then, you know, the only good thing that I've seen in all of this is thankfully the murder hornets didn't come. At least they didn't get all the way up to northern Michigan. And that didn't really bother me at all. But there's so many things happening in our world that are beginning to show so much unrest and challenge and they seem to be compounding and giving an overwhelming sense of concern and even panic in our society and hopelessness and here's where i want you right now to grab your Bible or take your iPad or your phone or whatever it may be, but let's turn to Daniel chapter 2 because I'm telling you, God has something special today for you and for me in Daniel chapter 2 that connects with our world, our society, our state, our lives right now. Daniel chapter 2. Now, Daniel chapter 1, we saw how the nation of Judah was conquered by Babylon and, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar, he swung in and not only did he capture Babylon, but he took away a number of young people. And in all of the young people that he took, he grabbed four specific that we know of and their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these four youngsters that he grabbed you know, he captured them, but here's the neat thing. Now, now grab this, think about this. He captured them, but he never, ever captured their hearts because their hearts were already captured by God. And they proved it because when the king had set up a menu for them and the menu was with meats that went against the law of Moses and they also were offered to idols along with the wine that was offered to idols, Daniel and his three comrades said, you know, we're going to abstain. We're not going to go that route because we're not going to do anything that defiles our hearts and our lives and our relationship with God. So even though Nebuchadnezzar captured them, he never captured their hearts. Their hearts were reserved for God. And it taught us last week, as we studied this together, that disruptions demand our devotion to God. Disruptions demand our devotion to God. And so in chapter one in Daniel, the nation of Judah was in crisis. Chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar's in crisis. So let's look at it here together. There was a challenge. There was a personal crisis that Nebuchadnezzar was in. He actually had a dream and it was a big dream. Now, we've all had dreams that have awakened us. We've had trouble falling back asleep. Maybe we were even scared. This was different for Nebuchadnezzar. You see, in Old Testament days, God would talk to people through dreams and visions. And I believe Nebuchadnezzar 
when he woke up from this series of dreams, it was more than one, he woke up from this series of dreams, he knew that this was significant. He knew that this was a, a special dream and a series of dreams that, that God was telling him something dramatic for himself and for the future, and it was very troubling. And the Bible mentions that he had trouble going back to sleep. He couldn't sleep, and the Bible uses the word troubled for his personal state. He was in personal crisis mode inside. In fact, let me read for you how the Bible narrates this for us. And in fact, we know that, that God is setting us up for this narration because in chapter 1, verse 17, here's how this is set up. It mentions to these four young men, the four young men of Judah I mentioned, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel, it says, could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So you can see God is setting up chapter 2. I wonder why Daniel could understand all kinds of dreams and visions. Well, here's Daniel chapter 2. Listen to verses 1 through 3. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled. He could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what this thing means. So let's work through this narrative here for a moment, and we're going to work through the, the text through most of chapter 2. Check this out. So Nebuchadnezzar had these dreams, and they troubled him, and he was in a personal crisis mode, and he pulls together everyone at his disposal to help him interpret the dream. And here's who he had. This is who the text talks to us who he had. So we know at this point that Nebuchadnezzar had um, wise men. So he had in his nation the highest educated people in all of the Middle East. And in fact, these people had been educating also all of the, the young people of Judah, including the four that we're studying here in the text, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So, so he had the highest educated people in the world. He had people of high education. He had the wisest people. And the text mentioned the, the wise men here were people of tremendous philosophy and understanding that he had at his disposal. In addition to that, he had what the text calls astrologers. So here were people who studied the stars, and they looked at the heavens, and they studied the seasons, they understood the times, and they had been doing this and charting them and trying to to research, and, and these people would give perspective on the world and on events and, and try to help the king understand chronology. And, and you can realize how he realized and understood how the world was cycling. And so this was another element of wisdom at his disposal. And then there were people that said that they had special power. They practiced magic arts. They practiced spells. 
They made up concoctions. And these could have been medicinal concoctions or concoctions that caused hallucinations, but they, they did a number of those things and they were called magicians. They were called enchanters. They were called sorcerers. They could have been dabbling in demonic or black arts or magic and, and realize that these weren't just a few or a handful of people Chances were there were numerous men in each of these categories, maybe even dozens of people in each of these categories. And, and so when the king said that he pulled together all of these individuals to help him interpret the dream, there could have been dozens of individuals. There could have been even a hundred or more individuals that he pulled together his his cabinet of sorts, these are the people that I want to help me interpret the dreams that I have been having that are troubling me, that have put me into a personal internal crisis mode in my heart. And, and I don't think that this is the first time that the king has had a dream like this. I don't, I don't think that this is the first time that he's pulled his cabinet together to help him go through dreams or visions or interpret times or questions that he's had. This is not an oddity for them. However, let me tell you what was going to be different. What was going to be different is this was a very troubling time for him. This is the first time that he was in a panic mode inside. This is the first time that he could not get any rest. This is the first time that there was no way that he was going to let this go with a pat answer or with just a general thought or something that they would give him to satisfy him temporarily. He needed something real and genuine. And so he came back. He wanted them not only to tell him the interpretation he said i not only want the interpretation i want you to tell me the dream that way i'll know that what you're telling me is true now he wanted them to tell him what they didn't know now that's next to impossible really now i'm going to tell you something Whenever I went out to pick up my girls from um, college in New York, <clears throat> I would stop at um, some rest stops in New York. And in the bathroom, it was, there, was this, um, there were these machines, and it was the weirdest thing because in the back of the bathroom, there was a, a machine. It was a weight machine, and if you put money into it it not only would tell you your weight it would tell you your fortune and i i just thought it was the craziest thing like really you know here i come from 700 miles away in northern michigan and i travel to some random bathroom in upstate new york and i walk in there and you want me to put a dollar in there and stand on it and it's supposed to give me it's supposed to tell me what my future is like are you kidding me you know there's no way and so you know i just want you to know for all 
clarity and understanding. I, I never used it. I thought it was crazy. And I never saw anyone else use it. And I just thought, how in the world can a machine that I put money in, and I'm 700 miles away from this thing, how can it ever know my future? How could it ever know that? And then I thought, you know, if it doesn't get my future right, obviously it's not going to get my weight right either. So I decided not even going to bother with that one. I think you know what I'm saying there. So getting our future right, there's just no way in the world. How is someone ever going to really figure that out? And I think that this is where Nebuchadnezzar was going. I don't want an entertainment here. I don't want a carnival answer, you know, like a booth that's set up there where someone is just going to make a neat, educated guess. I don't want someone just to give me a neat, wise answer. You know, here's just what I'm thinking. And this kind of makes sense for you, O king, O wise one. I want the real deal. I want to know what's going on to satisfy my heart. And so there's this discussion that goes on in verse 4 and 5 of the text. And here's the dialogue between the king and, and the, the astrologers. And here's how it goes. It says, Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. And now, my friends, we have a big problem. And all the astrologers know it. And all the wise men know it. And all the magicians know it. And all the sorcerers know it. Because no one can reveal the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar kept his end of the bargain because he went to his chief guard and he said, Arioch, no one can tell me the dream. No one can interpret the dream. And so, Arioch, I want you to go ahead... These people are of no good. I want you to go ahead, put them all to death, turn their homes into rubble. I'm done with this. The challenge is within all of those wise men were four, and they were unaware of what was going on. And we know their names as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now let's get down to the nitty-gritty here, folks. There's a lot more to chapter 2. And we're going to get to the rest of it next week. But there's one main lesson from the early part of chapter 2 that we just, can't, we just can't get by. And you and I need to talk about this here today. We need to embrace something that Nebuchadnezzar came to grips with. Here's what it is. Crises do something for us. Crises do something for us personally. They do something for our world. In fact, it's doing something for our world right now. 
And it did something for Nebuchadnezzar in his day. And here's what crises do. Crises reveal the emptiness of human solutions. Crises reveal the emptiness of human solutions. And what we found already is Nebuchadnezzar had every potential human solution at his disposal. Everything was his. He had the most educated, the wisest, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers. Everyone was there. Everyone could tell him their thoughts. They all claimed to have special powers, special knowledge, special insight, tremendous wisdom. And all of it was empty. It all worked for them for a time, though. You know, there was a long time, and, and, and all of it seemed pretty good. All of it seemed to get by. They seemed satisfied with it for a while. That's where he had put his hope, and everything seemed to be okay for a while. Until <clears throat> crisis came. Until he was rattled. <clears throat> Until he ended up at the end of his rope. And when he got to that point, <clears throat> when he came to the time when he realized everything that I put my hope in wasn't answering my questions, that's when he realized it's empty. It's not supplying the stability. It's not supplying the security. And I think deep down, Nebuchadnezzar knew it. Deep down, he understood this thing no longer was working for him. And that's why he called it out. That's why he ended up telling the astrologers, I just don't want pat answers. I need to know this is real. I need you to tell me the dream and I need you to tell me the interpretation. I'm not doing this for entertainment anymore. I want to know the truth. I want real answers. I want something I can truly put my hope in. I've been dealing with crisis in my heart and I can't play games anymore with pop answers, with fake gods, with empty sounding wisdom, I need something real. Not only did chaos and crisis reveal to Nebuchadnezzar that his solutions were empty, it revealed to all the wise men and all the enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers that what they had was, was not real either. They were powerless, and their admission was clear because they just said in verse 11, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can do this. We can't do it. No one can do it except the gods, and they don't live among humans. So let's get down to it. And here's what the text says for us today. You know, we can look the whole Bible over, and I'm telling you this, you know it too. We can look the whole Bible over and we're never ever going to find 
a place where it tells us to put our hope and our trust in ourselves. There's never a place in Scripture where it says to put our hope in human ingenuity or to find ways to address life or solve our problems apart from God. There's just no place. It's just, it's not there. I'm going to tell you what the Bible does say. Like in Proverbs 14, 12, it says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The way I learned it in my growing up years, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Or Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then here's the admonition on the other side. And don't lean on your own understanding. The Bible says, you know what? Don't trust in yourself. Don't put hope in human ingenuity apart from God. Don't run down the road of saying, I think we can do this apart from God. I think if we get enough of us together, I think if we look to humanity, I think if we look to our own wisdom, we can do this on our own. And God knows our tendency. God knows what we think. God knows how we feel. And we typically tend to move away from him and toward human reliance. And I know it's not just a Nebuchadnezzar thing. It's not. It's a me thing. It's a Brian thing. It's a you thing. It's a society thing. We all tend to do it. You know, when relationships go bad and we tend to our own methods, come on, let's get real. When our relationships go bad and we tend to our own methods of control or manipulation or demands or desperation, and we hope in those things that that will make it all work right. Or when our nation has trouble and we look to politics and legislation and courts and community action as that's what's really going to turn the world around. Or we struggle with an issue personally and we say, you know what, I can do some self-help. I can do something all on my own. I can struggle all on my own and figure it all out and get myself worked out. Or when we feel down and I can, I'm just going to do some self-care. That's what's going to do it for me. Or when we feel the deficit and we say, you know what, my greatest wisdom comes from my friends or from Hollywood or from the latest pop song or from Google or even worse yet, from the latest meme that gets put out there on Facebook. Or even in the church realm, where we trust in our programs or our endeavors or our traditions or our methods or our labels. You know, these are the things that really work. 
And then when things get out of control or when things are on the downward slide and we can't sleep and we feel the crisis inside and the, the problem is bigger than we can handle and our pat answers or our politicians or our manipulation or our self-care or the meme just won't cut it anymore. That's when we come to the same place as Nebuchadnezzar and we realize that our crisis has just opened up and exposed the emptiness of my attempt to solve all my problems apart from Almighty God. And you know what I'm saying just as much as I feel it right now. It just doesn't work. So what does this mean for us? What do we need to do? Well, what Nebuchadnezzar did, he ordered them all killed. I'm not going to tell you to do that here today. That probably wouldn't be the right thing to do. But what I will tell you today, for us, we need to shift our dependence from self to God. It's just not going to work. God didn't create all of these things for us to put our hope in them. He created them for all of them and us to put our hope in Him. And we need to shift our dependence to Him to put our hope in Him. And I'm going to mention there's a couple different ways. And some people think, you know, how I get to heaven or how I earn my favor with God. Some people think I do that through my endeavor. You know, if I'm good enough, if I go to church or if I give money or if I serve or if I come from a good heritage or a home, that's how I get to heaven. And that's no different than Nebuchadnezzar trusting in our human ingenuity or our human effort rather than depending on God. Here's what the Bible says, that we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or John 3, 16, that whosoever believes in Him, in Jesus, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That our relationship with God, our eternal life in heaven, is not dependent on our effort, our works, our ingenuity. It's not dependent upon us dependent on us. It's us depending on Jesus' work on the cross, that he died on the cross for our sin. So one of the first steps of shifting from self-reliance and human reliance to God-reliance is saying, I'm relying on Jesus. I rely on Jesus and his death on the cross as being what has forgiven me of my sin. And I, I denounce my old life and I believe Jesus died to forgive me of all that junk of my past and I give my life to Him. I depend on Him from here forward. 
That's a life of dependence on God. So like Nebuchadnezzar, we come to the end of self and of human reliance and we put our trust in Jesus for our rescue, for him to be our rescuer, our forgiver. And then we also shift our dependence from self to God just for living, just for everyday living. And I want you to think about it. For everyday living, for marriage. You know, don't... If your marriage is flopping, if it's hurting, don't go to your methodology that is hurting it. Reject that, folks. That self, that human-based reasoning that's getting you into those jams and do what God's Word wants you to do as a husband or a wife or how you deal with your kids the things that are making your family struggle. We need to reject how our world and society raises children and do the things that God's Word says. That's shifting from human reliance to God reliance or with our relationships or with our finances <clears throat> or with our decisions. Let's shift from dependence in self and human-based thought to what God wants us to do. One of my favorite verses in all the Scripture is from Psalm 20, verse 7. The psalmist says this, and I just want to leave this with you. And I want to drive you to a decision. He says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so I want to ask you today, where's your dependence in? Nebuchadnezzar found out really quick, boy, did I load up all my dependence in all the wrong things. I hit crisis mode and everything I put around me failed. Miserably failed. And he found out, as we're going to find out next week, where it all needs to be. Where's your dependence? Let's shift. Whether for salvation, put it in Jesus Christ. And if that's you right now, if you're realizing, you know what? I really never realized I needed to put my trust in Jesus. Go to that connection card. Put on there, I today trusted in Jesus. I'm depending on Him for salvation, not my good works. I believe He died for me. If that's you, Go to that connection card. Let's talk about it, man. Let us know. Or maybe today your decision is I'm rejecting my self-thought, my human wisdom, my manipulation, my control over marriage or kids or finances or relationship or decisions. I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to depend on Him. That's the decision that you need to make. Let's do this. Let's do it in the power of Jesus Christ. Let's do it to honor him. Let me pray for you, then we'll finish up. So God, we've come to the end of ourselves. And that's not a bad thing. Because that's where we come to the start of dependence on you.
no longer relying in our genius, our answers, our way. God, we rely on your brilliance, your answers, your direction. And we admit your ways are higher. Your ways are better. You're always working, even when we can't see it even when we can't feel it. You are the way maker, the miracle worker. And we submit to you. We love you. We depend on you. And may we do it even more so as we see our day and our world in crisis. We are yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless your week. This is our last week of online church only. Excited to be able to connect with all of you at both campuses. We'll be connecting with you during the week. Online, though, let's stay connected. God bless you.